0: Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. God, I cannot sing. I think I'm tone deaf. Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. What an interesting, cool episode this week. It was with Casey Cavalier of The Wonder Years, which is my undisputed favorite pop punk band. There I said it, I think they're the best. This was cool though, because we had a really candid conversation. All in, he shared such an interesting perspective. I got to ask him a lot of questions of the points in the band that I was the most interested in. And he shared such cool answers. We talked about the financial point, the tipping point where it was like, oh, this is real. We talked about their first sold out show. We talked about looking at it like a business and pacing it and budgeting. We talked about how they creatively work with each other and like their recording process and how he views the evolution of their music. Just so many really interesting things. It was such a fun conversation. So I hope you like it. If you are a fan of the band like I am, I absolutely think you will. And if you do, I say it every time, but hit your boy with a little subscribe, whether you're watching or listening, that goes a long way and I appreciate it more than anything if you know another Wonder Years fan or if you know another fan of people talking about things that they're passionate about in podcasts and you want to send them this episode I won't be upset I certainly I certainly wouldn't be upset I'd say hey listener viewer thanks I appreciate that and that's uh, that's what it would be it'd be me thanking you be like hey hey bud thanks for thanks for letting me do what I love doing that's pretty cool So there's me, that's just me explaining that. I'm done now, I need to end this intro. So there you go, enjoy the episode. Casey Cavalier, The Wonder Years. This is cool, this is really, really cool. Uh, Just a second ago I was saying, and I will unapologetically say it, The Wonder Years is my absolute favorite pop punk band. I think that you guys do something so, so special. and I, I will throw that big, giant statement out there and I will stand by it. So it's a real honor to to do this one with you.
1: Wow. It's, uh, it's a big, huge statement. I'll duck and cover because I don't know if I can catch that. Um, but uh, that's really kind of you. Uh, and it's so nice to be here. I was saying likewise that I've been really uh, enjoying hearing about uh, what you've been doing and you know, loving the podcast. And honestly, how much fun it is to listen to you enjoy doing what you do and and chatting it up with everybody that you have on. uh, I think that's really something special and probably why so many people like it. So I'm happy to be be, uh, an official part of it now. Um, Very cool.
0: Just a couple folks gassing each other up. But uh, that's awesome. And I I don't want (laughs) to, we could probably do that for a second. But let's, let's get right into it. And I, I where I wanted to start is super, super briefly, just explain who you are, the band you play in, all of that. And then I want to get into a little bit of that. I have a specific spot I want to get into.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I do play in a band called The Wonder Years, a pop punk band from Philadelphia. have been doing that for a bit of a time now. We put out a couple records and it's been treating us well. Andrew and I met actually, uh, we were just trying to remember and um, got to know each other on Warped Tour a few years ago. Yeah, 2013. Boy, how time does fly. Uh I know. It's fucked up. Uh, Yeah. So I play guitar for that band. I uh, obviously grew up outside of Philadelphia. And uh, just like the rest of the band, most of us met in high school. And, you know, really just a classic local scene story. For you, you know, it wasn't something that we were taking too seriously at the start. For anybody that is familiar with our deep, deep catalog, uh, they'll know that, you know, it it started to grow legs and started to get into something where we wanted to do something that was a little bit more fulfilling. And and that kind of started to transition into us doing this for a living, which is pretty, pretty remarkable uh, in these times uh, to look back and see how far we've come. And in between all that, um, when we're not touring much like right now in the last year, much like everybody uh, is not doing right now, uh, started doing some stuff on the side. We can maybe get into that a little bit later, but... Uh, you know, Yeah, absolutely. I've uh, started working out of a new space a couple of years ago that's actually just across the bridge here in New Jersey with a couple really talented friends. It's just a nice little home to, uh, to put songs together, demos, work with other bands and, and try to make something that we enjoy.
0: It's cool to see a creative branch off. It's like it's an extension of kind of what you are already doing, but it's also a cool evolution. And I like that. I want to talk specifically about a spot with The Wonder Years, because like I was saying, like, I really do view you guys on the highest plane and tier of the genre. And I think that you're pretty open and pretty humble about the fact that you guys weren't out here, like you didn't take it all too seriously in the beginning. And it kind of was this natural evolution, you guys all grew. But I want to explain my perspective from and like my view of it. And then maybe you can kind of answer some questions and paint the pictures and fill me in as the outside looking in. For me, I grew up skateboarding mostly into cars and skateboarding. And then around, probably around 18, like really started getting into music, started touring with my friends, blah, blah, blah. I was living in Florida and there was a music scene coming together and pop punk was certainly a part of it, but it wasn't like it was all these different genres happening all at once. And uh, talking to some of the guys from A Day to Remember, talking to Tim from Under Oath, like there were all these different genres that I guess you could maybe like in the biggest umbrella called rock, like they all had guitar, but like. You had hardcore, you had pop punk, you had like synth, pop, rock, whatever. You had all these different things happening. And I think this is also kind of like the pinnacle of Warp Tour, bringing it all together so, so well. But I didn't necessarily like view myself as a pop punk kid. And that was a very real uh, archetype that you could be. So I had one friend, shout out to Danielle. And I told her one day, I was just like, yo, like, make me a CD of all your favorite pop punk. Like, I want to know. And she burns me this CD and it's got a bunch of stuff in it. And heavily in that is The Wonder Years. And I was like, what the fuck is this? It just like, I It was that moment where it clicked and I got it. I was like, oh, this is different. And I want to say that was probably a lot of stuff off of The Upsides, that album. And it really stood out to me. And that it was kind of just that. Like, I didn't really think too much past that. I was kind of just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is great. I like listening to it. And I didn't really, like, you couldn't really, like, lurk Instagram the same way. Like, I didn't really have a concept of, like, how big is this band? It was just, like, this sounds great. Fast forward a little bit. I start touring more and more with my friends. And the name, The Wonder Years, is a big household name. And you really held that down. Fast forward again to where we were saying where we met, 2013. You guys were on warp Tour at the same time we were. And like seeing your guys' crowds, I was like, oh my God. And the energy that it had live and everything. And then where I will so strongly just be like, this is my favorite pop punk band and this is the best pop pop punk band is my opinion says the music is the best. However, my opinion also says the people are the best. I became really close with Matt. And he was so incredible. I would always see you guys around. You were so damn kind. You took such good care of your fans. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. I, I want to make this episode more than just The Wonder Years. But what I want to hear from you firsthand is your interpretation of the, the moments of like that mainstream massively like accepted and popping off and how you guys grew with that and how you, I, I think you did it for the right reasons. I'm getting a little bit wordy. So I guess now from your side, take me to the experiences of you're starting to put music out, call it around upside suburbia. In my opinion, you're you're starting to have that success. What's that look like to you? What are the conversations you guys are having? Uh, what's that feel like?
1: Yeah. Wow. Great question. So... Uh... A couple of things in there that you mentioned.
0: Uh sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back if you need I, to.
1: I think is awesome. Uh one, friend burning you a CD. Uh the true origin story of any uh, <laughs> uh, for um for so many people, uh the the burn CD mixtape and uh honor to be on it. Also, shout out to Danielle, wherever she is. Uh I guess I can thank her for being here now. So that's awesome. So so that was probably if that was like upsides or um or maybe even like a little like pre upsides. Uh, it, it makes me think of one thing when you talk about, you know, like I, I like the songs, but I have no concept of like how big the band is, if anybody knows, if it's just like a random, you know, thing. Uh, and it makes me think back. I was having a conversation the other day about, um, you know some of the parallels between like when we were coming up, it was this like MySpace pure volume era. You know was like one of the main platforms, uh, especially for independent bands. You can just start a band, have a website, go on and find eight of your friends or whatever it was. You know what I mean? And just and kind of start that like networking thing. And I think that's at the heart of a lot of how we became us because a lot of it was you know very DIY and in, in that regard, it was uh you know it was Dan our singer booking shows with another friend whether it's local and then and then kind of getting on there or some other message boards and and going back and forth and and trying to be like, hey, can we, you know, we'll put you on this show next month can we get grab a slot on this upcoming thing yada yada yada.
0: that's just how it worked it, it really was
1: um, and it's so funny uh, I, when I when I think about that specifically in my space you were like how big is this band and it was this weird era of like yeah I remember like finding a bunch of those bands too some of whom uh, like are now like lifelong friends and were actually incredible bands and and definitely probably deserve to be far and away much bigger than they than they ever got um in in some cases but then there were definitely other like uh bands where there was this strange illusion of like this band has a million plays like they must be huge like i i they must be an arena band and then you like cross paths like a year later and you're like this band's playing for like a hundred people and that's not to say that yeah. hundred people isn't like a huge milestone in a band's career but it was this weird thing where it's like the numbers that I'm seeing and everything like someone's doing a really good job on making you think, you know, this band is such a hit and resonating with so many people. Um, whereas for us, I think the moments that, that we, um, that we kind of started like realizing that something was, uh, was happening were all like in-person moments. You know what I mean? They were all like playing shows or opening for somebody. And you're like, Oh man, like, half the crowd like knows the word you know what i mean um and i mean even just starting from like the vfw halls where it's like everybody you know six people know the words but like three of them are friends you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah.
1: it's like that's still cool and i think that's that's like that first small infantile like transition into realizing uh then you start to not know the fit then your friends are you know your friends are still there but then it's like, they're with like 30 other people. And you're like, well, now I I don't know a good, like the majority of these people. Um, and then that transitions to something, something real. And you see that, you know, I mean, just real honest, like genuine, like they don't know you. There's nothing in it for them. They just found the songs, maybe through MySpace, maybe not, whatever. Uh, and... Started listening to them on their own for enjoyment and got you know and them and showed up. And that that poll was great enough to bring them out, uh, to see what it was all about live and, and see, um, you know, see if they wanted to kind of pursue that relationship with that band. You know, I feel like that's kind of the general trend, so um.
0: So when did you start seeing sellouts? When did you start like packing more than basements? And like what like album cycle or what era? Like where was that starting to be like, oh shit, I don't know any of these people and they're all singing the words.
1: Yeah. I mean, so the the upsize release shows, we did uh we actually did like five release shows, um, one in Philly, one in Boston, um Detroit. Um so those, so those. Those five shows were the ones that like sold out, but sold out in other cities. And of course, like we, we had been to those cities before, but um, specifically this place, I don't think has shows anymore outside Detroit called Modern Exchange. That was the first time that we were like, wait, what do you mean? Like the, like the shows sold out. Uh, I'm sure the promoter probably let more people in or what, you know what I mean? But like, that was the first time that we were like, why aren't you letting people in? Like, you know, whatever, It's like, dude, it like the capacity is whatever. And we were like, that was the thing that we were like, not even at that point, really thinking of, we were like, you know, hoping that people came out, we knew, you know, a couple people had, um,
0: yeah, the the idea of too many people being there is absolutely foreign. You're like, no, 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 we're, we're from Philly and we're in Detroit. So anybody that came to see us, you let them on in, this is crazy.
1: Right. It was like, it was all VFW halls, church basements and things like that, that, you know, sure they have like legal capacities, but if you're if it's somebody that's ringing it out and you're putting on the show like it's not a thing where like some other people
0: and you know that yeah. that was such a magical time too right like that is an era of that the, that, that golden era of an absolutely jam packed VFW hall and like a good pop punk show like that's actual magic. I don't know how you can explain that. I don't know what that energy is. Just those hot, sweaty, shitty shows. And everybody knows every word and moshing and people are surfing over each other. And it's like, that energy was something so, so special. And I think it it will always be there. Like, obviously, right now, there's no live shows. But I, I you see it. But I just, like, I have to, like, go back and just give that the largest pat on the back for being, like, thanks for being a magical time. Yeah,
1: so so good just like coming out of there truly just drenched and feeling like you just came out of a bat like the best battle in the world you know
0: uh, yeah you went to war and you won with your friends
1: everybody wins yeah um no I mean some of those shows like just insanely hot but in the same way it's just like it's almost you know the energy obviously like probably from a you know directly correlates with like the actual temperature or if it's just yeah. A spot and it's in the summer and the AC can only go so far or, you know, or it freezes up or breaks like plenty of those shows um, yeah. where yeah. you just have to be like, no, seriously, like you have to open the door. Um,
0: or, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Or, uh, so, you know, so, yeah.
0: So that was, that was Upsides era. You had your first like proper sold out shows. That was crazy. And another interesting thing there is Upsides comes out, what, 2010? Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So I mean you guys uh, technically had been a band for about like 5 years.
1: Yeah, I mean so we, like I was telling you before so we started um in, in a very uh very lighthearted uh way um as a, as just kind of like a boredom project just like wrote a joke song, right? Uh right. After, after high school we were we had all played together in, in different bands um in town and um you know some of Play different shows um soup Dan and Matt had been in another band previous to that that had done a little bit of touring and um and yeah, it was more just like uh hey, we found this all like uniform, like we all love this genre and what's happening um mm-hmm. you know with like a with like motion city and obviously yeah um you know uh, a lot of the uh the throwback like the o g pop punk bands um and uh And we were like, well, that would be fun, like a fun project. That would be fun to do. Um, So we messed around, did that, assumed it would kind of just, you know, nothing would come of it, uh, end up doing the like, hey, can we like hop on and just play this one joke song in the middle of this set, you know, um, show kind of thing. And then I think we, you know, we put out like a split with another band uh, and assumed we would just go to college and that would, you know, whatever, but we, we still had fun with it. So we still started like, you know, uh, like having opportunities to, you know, if we were, re- we all kind of went to school locally within like a two hour radius. I went to uh, Drexel in Philly. Um, a few of the guys went to Temple and, and spots and uh, Millersville and, um, and Michael went to Bloomsburg, but um you know so we come home and we do like a friday night show saturday night show cuz we wanted to come back and like see you know see our friends anyway um and that kind of started this like weekend warrior like all right we can do friday saturday sunday shows or okay well uh, this yeah. semester i don't have any classes friday or i can skip this whatever um And so we've kind of been doing that slowly and, and, you know, like occasionally like writing and and, and kind of growing and um, eventually put out a seven inch and the songs on that kind of started gaining a little bit more, um,
0: you know, eyes, uh, I guess. Like. Um, I guess my only point to that was just it's crazy that even though it was for fun and even though it was so natural and it was just you guys being genuinely stoked about a genre, wanting to make some music, wanting to see your friends, doing stuff on the weekends. It's still just cool that like really, it was about five years, call it, uh, before having like some crazy sellout moment. Like I think it's easy. Something that I come back to a lot on this podcast is it's really easy to think that things happen overnight and they don't. So like just the idea that like you guys you know, even though it wasn't like a grind of like one day we're going to make it and it was more just an authentic, like, let's have fun. That's still crazy that it took that amount of time to get to that spot. And then my other question now kind of fast forwarding from the the upsides is that's your first sellout. What was the first moment where you're like, holy shit, like I probably don't have to work a job. Like I'm getting paid enough where like I, this could be a career moment. Like where, where does that hit you where you're like, oh, what?
1: Yeah. You know what? Um, So what's strange about that is it's, um, I mean, so you mentioned like, uh, you know, back like 2013, like the first time, uh, we did Warp Tour, uh, you know, I still remember like getting the call and and getting the offer for that. Um, I don't know, we're like in Texas in a parking lot, I think. Um, and, uh, and... I, you know, like having that realization where it's like you kind of have all these like nostalgic uh emotions that flood back with, you know, we grew up going to Warp Tour and that's where, you know, we found a lot of our favorite bands, or even if we hadn't seen some of our favorite bands at Warp Tour, uh, they were very heavily involved in that scene and in that um and in that uh that group. Um yeah. So I, I think it was a weird thing where it's like, wait, uh you know, like we're now in that like position even the, you know what i mean um and uh and yeah i mean for any band doing it you know to get a you know a warp tour offer back then it you know it was no surprise that everybody that was like managers agents you know it's like that is a you know usually a good thing if you're a band like us that um that feels at home in that world with a lot of the other bands that are going to be on the tour um and feel like that's you know where your brand and where the energy of the band you know is uh Nashville
0: it was the place to be like <laughs> it was just like in the early 10s like in the late like 2000 call it like uh, probably 2008 or actually a little earlier like mid 2000s to early 10s like if you were any type of band in the genre warp tour was the place to be it was the pinnacle it was fucking amazing right so it's like extremely validating and it was uh it was a place where you knew there was so many built-in people that if you wanted to go and sell CDs to people all day long, like merch sales guarantee built-in guarantees, free catering, like it also represented a uh, steady income in a weird way. So I, I don't want to steal your answer to your question, oh. but is it that around that 2013 Warp Tour is when That's it started totally right, to
1: Andrew, I mean, and so that was kind of, you know, maybe the first in like a very large sense, you know, before then we like, we'd we'd done tours, sold merch, like, you know, things have been fine. Like we were able to like pay our bills and, and kind of get by and come home, but still like coming home was like a, a somewhat nomadic thing too, you know? Um, And, uh, and that was definitely the tour where um, things started getting uh, really exciting very quickly. Um, Just based on the overwhelming, I I think I remember it's like, you know, you do a merch order and you, you like try to, project what, you know, based on, you know, previous, uh, touring and stuff, but there's nothing, um, there's nothing like Warp Tour. And this is a thing where it's like, obviously we had people, we were lucky enough to have people around us, um, from a business capacity that had other bands had been on the tour before, um, maybe knew a little bit better what to expect. And I remember thinking some of those like merch estimates, I was like, there's, I was like, there's no way like this is, you know, like, whatever you know from like
0: you're like i'm sorry what well, no it, it, but can you you don't have to not, uh, no, don't, but let me i'm gonna ask it i'm gonna ask the most direct one best warp tour merch day
1: oh man honestly i do i don't remember it exactly i just know that it was up until that point um and again for anybody listening this is in no way like the um you know the say all and be all of what you take home, and I, I know it's you know uh,
0: there's so much more. There's the cost of goods. There's I mean, what you're paying I mean, your management. I all mean, that. But...
1: And that's a whole other podcast <laughs> in and of itself, I think. But um, I mean, I, I think I so you know when we when you start hitting like double digits in merch, or more so, I think for me when like it wasn't even necessarily the money. It was just the actual numbers, looking at a spreadsheet and being like, wait, wait how many people bought like this shirt um,
0: yeah you're saying double digits like uh like over 10k in a day
1: yeah so that was you know yeah. and i mean and, and again stuff like that it, you know <laughs> warped towards you anybody that's been on it will tell you um every day is not built the same uh in terms of crowds oh, you know like it, it it based on the band and where you are in the country and and the timing of stuff uh but yeah i mean that was that was like, a, I remember having a couple moments where it was like, wait a second, like, we're like, like, this is like, we might come home with like job money, you know, like, yes, uh,
0: yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was looking for. That's what I wanted. That to. Was, know.
1: That was probably, you know, one of the first times where it was like seeing that and seeing it come together. And then not only that, but, you know, doing signings, you you know, like, we paired off, I think, like, with Nintendo. So we were there every day. Getting oh, yeah. Um, I think that was like, uh, what did they have out was it the switch or was it no it was before the i don't know i'm not a gamer that's a that's a nick steinborn yeah uh, <laughs> yeah it was probably that it was probably that works man where it was like saw things on like a different level where some of the not predictions but like some of the uh you know the targets that uh either our manager or some other people that had that had gone through it and you know and had ascended and and started to to kind of um to grow into and through that space, we're like, yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Like, um, if you yeah. record that's kind of hitting and growing while you're on that tour, um, and I, I mean, I know, uh, you know, a bunch of people have have told me anecdotes and stories about bands that started a tour playing to no one and end the tour like on main stage closing to like thousands of people, you know, because like little yeah. hits, and I'm sure Kevin has a ton of uh, stories of, like that, but um, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's just, it's an interesting thing to talk about, like, because it's so funny. Like, here we are just like kind of chopping it up as homies. But that's when I met y'all. Like, that's when it was, that was like, oh, this is that band that Danielle burned me the CD. Like, oh, they're cool as fuck. And like, oh, wow, they rip live. Like, that was really my first in-person interaction. And what's so funny about hearing it now from you is, to me, I had already been done assumed that you guys were fucking massive. Like, just off of, like, the music itself, the outside perception. I remember uh, at the time, our band was sponsored by Glamour Kills and you guys were sponsored by Glamour Kills, but you guys were, like, fucking sponsored by Glamour Kills. Like, it was, like, another level. So, when I saw y'all on Warp 13, you, like, anybody could be like, yo, this band is fucking killing it. But what I didn't realize was that was new to y'all. That that was like pretty new territory for you guys to be like, oh, oh shit, we're killing it. Like, oh, we are on main stage. There are massive crowds. We're selling real amounts of merch. We're making real money. Like I didn't realize from the outside that that was really the beginning of it feeling legitimate to y'all because I had already assumed that it was like big, big. And another thing to Sorry, it was super quick. Another thing to touch on is like we talk about like merch numbers and I I think it could say like a band at that level, it it would be really easy to make uh, half a million dollars on the tour all in, like 500k between every merch day, between guarantees, between signings, all of that. However, you hear that and you're like, God damn, let's go. But that goes away so fast. And that was another thing that I think is really interesting about breaking down that perception of that time is nowadays, the scope of music is a little bit different. A lot of kids are able to make music on their own. They're able to upload it to Spotify. They're getting direct streaming. They're not going through a label where, at least from my perception, correct me if I'm wrong, I actually want to hear your perception, but take a hypothetical 500K. You have First off, you have to pay insurance because you're on a big festival. So that cuts out some amount. But then you have your booking agent, which takes 10%. You have your manager, which takes 15 to 20%. So already 50K, gone, booking agent. Uh, And these are super rough numbers, and booking agents wouldn't get cuts of merch, but like I'm just kind of like shittily doing this math in real time. But then you have like manager, call it 20K, because that's easier math for me to do cool, 100K, gone. So then you're down to 350K. And then there's all the other bullshit. There's your bus that you have to pay for. There's blah, 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 blah. So I don't know, call, like take another 50K off that and that's probably being short. So like, even if you then take 300K and then you split that uh, with, I don't know, a a typical band has like what, five members, something like that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking six, but then also like, you're paying crew, you're paying a bus driver, you're paying
0: oh fuck yeah, crew, um so like,
1: uh, the bus itself on a day rate, expensive if you have to take one because of production or x y z um
0: yeah, the bus is easy thousand a day you don't without fuel, so,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, we were back and forth and every tour we still we still crunch the numbers, and it's not like because that was the biggest thing where I think a lot of people don't understand it's like the, there's a bus, but like that is a serious fiscal responsibility and sometimes it just doesn't make sense but there are yeah. bands that get to a point and they're like i won't i won't ever do anything not in a bus and then there's bands yeah. where they're just like well then you're not going to be able to tour right now because numbers are down and you know like
0: right and you guys have not had that pride you guys have gone back you guys have done buses you've done bandwagons you've done vans
1: yeah um and it's just and that's it. It depends on the tour. It but, depends on the routing. It depends on where it is. It depends on, you know, where we on, are on the bill. It's like, we, we try to be smart about that. And I think that's because we came up the way we did where it was just, you know, like a lot of the other like OG punk and hardcore bands in a van trying to like figure out, like get to the next show. How can we stretch this little bit of merch money? And how can... Yeah. You know, how can we try to like come home with a little bit, you know, this time kind of
0: thing? T- totally. Um, and to conclude my point on like that Warp Tour example, so it's like you do all those splits and then like, I don't know, like say that every band member then walks away like with like 30K. Like, dope. That's awesome. And maybe it's more, maybe it's less, whatever, but like tens of thousands. And you're like, holy shit. But then the other interesting thing to think about is Warp Tour only happened once a year. Mm-hmm. And bands that were on it were on an every other year cycle most of the time. So then it's like all of a sudden when you look at what you consider to be a big band or like when Andrew from 2013 looks at y'all and I'm like, they're the biggest band ever. The interesting thing to think about is it's like you kind of have the career of an athlete or something like where, yes, you're getting large sums of money, but then how long does that need to last for? Because you can't tour every city every day. Like you have to take breaks. There's only one warp tour. So it's like you have this big chunk, but then you need to spread that out. And then you need to reinvest in your van, your band, and your business. So it's just really interesting. I guess I'm kind of like riffing out loud with you and thinking about it in real time, but it's like it's crazy to hear that that was your first moment of success and like breaking down just really what goes into that. And, uh, yeah.
1: Right, dude, I so uh, there was a lot in there and it's it's all real and I'm glad like I'm glad you're putting it out there for people that are curious or if there's other people you know in bands or you know trying to figure out their their business model right now or get it off the ground or maintain it but uh it's all real and I think um that doesn't get spoken about a lot cuz a lot of people, Yeah. Don't want to talk about money if they're if they're making it or you know for a number of a number of reasons but um but i think also what you what you start to see um i love actually the the athlete analogy with warp tour it's pretty funny it's like signing a big deal but also like something could happen and you could not be able to tour for like another year and a half like i don't know a pandemic um <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of it? Yeah. What's that? Um, so I, I think that's that's really um, solid to know that. Like, I think uh, sometimes people have the perception that oh my god, this band's in a bust. They're selling tons of merch. Um, I think a lot of people would be surprised with the relation of like going back to what we were talking about at the top of this, uh, how big they think a band is, what big means um, and what that kind of like boils down to in in real world terms. Um, And we've always tried to be and this is another thing that I I think somebody out there, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure somebody does it, but um, we certainly kind of had to learn this on our own and we got lucky, but I know plenty of case studies that didn't because they didn't have somebody to like help them manage their money or figure out how to be like, Hey, you just had this huge windfall. You're 18. Um, but like, you should like figure out how to stretch that across X amount of time because you won't get another tour payout until the back half of this cycle, like 12 16, 18 months from now, because of how you're structuring, your, you know what I mean? Like, um, and actually have those talks, we had to all kind of do it. And I still to this day, it's like have to have to budget out. And it's almost, you know, there's not a lot of I mean, businesses do this and do long term planning. But we've gotten to the point where for years now, we ever like, every year, like a rotating calendar, look at like, start looking like a year, even two years out of what, you know, we think we might want to do, how it can all line up and just to make it as seamless as possible, but also as a business to make sure that we can keep doing it, you know? Um, yeah. And keep doing it well and 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 keep doing it where it doesn't start to like strain, you know, the creativity. So we're always able to give our best
0: and... Uh, and- oh, super weird. It muted.
1: Well, and now all we have to do is just casually gloss over the fact that you're wearing different headphones, uh, and it'll be seamless. Uh,
0: <laughs> I know, exactly. So I'll just be like, hey, man, yeah, that's so crazy. Thanks for taking that break where I wanted to switch my headphones. Yeah, for comfort. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, for comfort, I would never. Nothing ever goes wrong with recording a podcast, and it was totally not a hardware malfunction. It was just me being like, "Dude, this conversation's so good that I need to have these hi-fi headphones on." An AirPod won't. My
1: cut ears it. deserve the isolation. Yeah, yeah. So if we're carrying on, I think uh, the one thing I, I'll just finish up. We were talking about that moment and realizing like the business end of it and everything. And I think what's crazy a lot of a lot of bands and artists, especially like in the pop world come into a lot of money if they have success early on, you know, very young. Yeah. And, and so I think for us, we had to learn how to like manage that money. You know, you come off Warp Tour and you're like, okay, but like, this isn't just like, go buy like six jet skis and, and party, right? Um, Yeah, that runs out real quick. So uh yeah, we were lucky enough that we, you know, we were diligent and, and all like, really always treated the band, you know, kind of responsibly to like, not just like, Not buy a ton of gear that we really didn't need super early on, and um, you know, and really look at if it was like reasonable and kind of balance the all those you know business decisions and judgments and let and say it's like, will will buying this like shiny new thing like really help us or you know make more money to buy more shiny things or you know, um,
0: yeah, or or do we well and that segues that segues to the other part of the band that I did want to talk about was just like. There's something that I really respect about you guys because I call it in my head, like this sense of DIY in the right way, but you've never been like super flashy or like we're so cool or we're this big giant headlining band and we should be perceived as this. It's like even throughout all of the success, because like, again, we were able to be on Warped 15 together and, you know, like I kind of watched that growth it never got to y'all, y'all. It never was like this thing of like, oh, we're so fucking cool now. It was always just these dudes that were happy to be there making music that they liked. And I think you maintained the Di- the, all the DIY elements that matter while still growing. And that's something that I really, really respect. And it's an example that I think is a great one to be set because with the athlete-like Uh, salary and pay structure and knowing that it's these big chunks every now and then, I think you guys did a really good job of staying humble and uh, being aware of that and just doing what you did so well so that's really interesting to me
1: yeah well um it's definitely not not always easy we were talking about this before and, and first of all uh i don't think we had enough abs to get a, a, a you know collectively to get, uh, <laughs> a big ego or a big head or or get flashy with it um you know there's not enough to show off in that department so we had to kind of like rest on like merit and trying to make something of substance right um that we believed in and and hope that that, um, that that shines through, which is, you know, which has formed all of us, but, uh, you know, um, also individually the way I work and, and try to like, try to view music through that lens of really making something that has lasting value and lasting power. And, um, and if it's honest and something that you as a musician or as a creator get behind, then even if, you're going to be your own worst critic 10 years down the line and turn around and be like, that's awful. It's like, if you in that moment had enough, uh, you know, passion and devotion behind it to let it go out into the world and see what it brings back and see what it, you know, attaches to and attracts, um, then that's a good thing that you can't go wrong. Trusting, trusting yourself in that way. So I think we tried to let that be our guide. And, um, it's really cool to hear, hear you say that. And I, you know hear all of the impacts um you know and stories that people have of of how it's uh, how it's affected their life in in a positive way so
0: yeah you set a great example of like integrity like you set like a very good do it for the right reasons authenticity integrity type example and i just think that's cool another thing i'm curious of is how has that applied now as a more of like a producer like so the band has continued to succeed you've evolved you've written music that on a fan level like again from my outside perception i think it's really cool how you guys have evolved and it always feels it's like cool call it pop punk but like it's more than that and you've continuously pushed that and put out really cool music but i'm curious now cuz i do want to talk a little bit specifically about you something that you have been getting into a lot is a producer so how how is all the lessons how is everything that you have Learned from the Wonder Years as a whole, come back to you and what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, wow. Uh, I mean, a lot of ways. So, if you talk about um, if you talk about the writing process in general, um, so spent the majority of my adult life um, in uh, in a space in a, a creative collaboration uh, with five other guys. Uh, Luckily, they're my friends, and we still get along, and we still enjoy doing it on our better days, you know. But that's not to say that there aren't uh, creative back and forths and differences of opinion. Uh, Everybody has their own tastes, right? So I think that's been probably one of the one of the top lessons that has informed how I treat, um, you know, being in the studio and working with other people's music, right? Remembering uh, that it's not your vision that is the only right way you know um and especially with with music or any creative like art-based endeavor uh there's never just one right way to do something you know um and then a lot of the views are uh are highly subjective right um when it comes to you know who's creating it what they're trying to do um and how it's interpreted uh, by an audience, so I think that that alone has helped me you know learn some lessons in patience uh, and also learn some lessons in the value of listening right um, and I mean that literally in the sense of like what other musicians are doing or you know and trying to pick up, I think like uh, jazz is a is a perfect example of this medium where uh, like the highest caliber players in real time will hear somebody else throw a little lick or rhythm in and then like four beats later, they'll kind of, uh, ghost note it, you know, um, some of the most incredible drummers, like, uh, I can watch that for hours because it's just, you see it so rapidly, like, it's not even a thought it's actually like it's um like passing over that portion of like have a thought and then tell your body to do it it's just almost emotively connected it's um it's pretty cool so um in that way i think uh, you know listening as well um as being patient and and trying to understand what somebody else might be seeing from their vantage point, because everybody's coming to the table with a, a whole unique set of tastes right, um, and influences. Uh, I think that's, uh, from a wonder years standpoint, that's what probably makes us so strong and, and gives us such, um, I would hope, a unique identity that has continued to evolve is because we all have very specific opinions. There's a lot of overlapping things, but when we get an idea whittled down all six of us in a room and we can all like feel it and just, you know, you stop playing, you know, that that idea on loop and then immediately you don't have to say anything. You kind of just know that's it, we got it, 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 it works. Um,
0: yeah, you know what's crazy, what I'm hearing as you say that, like, cause I'm not a musician. I cannot play music. Like I love music, but I cannot play. But the way that you explain that to me is I hear that you're explaining communication. And when I don't when I say communication I'm not saying talking like somebody can talk at you somebody can say a bunch of shit and not listen but when you're truly communicating you're speaking the same language and you're exchanging an idea you're putting something out and somebody is immediately in turn sending something back in real time dependent on what you're saying so you're talking about jazz you're talking about that music becomes communication and it's them understanding what the other person is saying and then instantly saying something back. So hearing you, like, that's kind of how I'm hearing you explain that, where you guys as a band got really good at communicating and not talking over each other.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, it wasn't always smooth, you know, Um, and we still, you know, it still gets passionate and people still, you know, have opinions. That doesn't change. That'll never change, right? Sure. Sure. But, uh, but I also don't want it to change um, and uh and I think that's uh, it's nice that I kind of have that realization of of bringing that to work with other strangers, or effectively, what you're establishing and kind of one of the like the the paramount things that I try to really um not take for granted is the factor of trust because you're communicating with someone and you're hoping that they. In turn, trust you enough to communicate back with you. Probably something that, if we're talking about music, uh, it is pretty darn personal uh, a lot of time. Yeah. You know, um, so for me, I don't take that lightly, and I try to establish that line of communication. And there's a lot of ways to communicate. It's obviously nonverbal, but um, even just back and forth. Especially now, we're in this like virtual era where you know the world has gotten a lot smaller and. Uh, and there's different techniques and different ways of speaking, right? Sometimes, you know, if I'm working remotely with a band, um, you know, we'll do something as simple as send Logic, Logic demos back and forth, right? And I can communicate by just picking up a guitar and laying a line over it um, and sending it back. And they can immediately just be like, oh, that's what he was talking about. Uh, but I didn't have to like sit there and try to be, and try to describe a melody line or, or describe a guitar part or this, you know, um, and the same thing goes for arrangement stuff. I mean, technology now, if you get just like an introductory handle on it, you can just slice and dice, chop and screw. And immediately I can be like, great. I love the bones of the song. I have two ideas here. They are. And you can immediately have like a, a real time, um, you know, Mock up of everything, right? Um, whereas I I think long ago you'd kind of have to go down and like and draw it all out and sketch it all out and you know either notate it if if someone's like really concrete into like reading charts down or um get everybody on the same page about how the idea is going to work and then play it together. And there's a nice component, too, because then you you get some happy accidents in that, um, I found, too. So that's also part of it, which um, I think is a really important thing that I've learned uh, about my perspective with the band that I try to bring to um, the production world and the studio world of, like, capturing. Uh, Because being the player, uh, we were talking um, a little bit before we started this about that, like, the moment you hit record, sometimes you lock up and all of a sudden, like, yeah really this really nice um you know flow and vibe just goes out the window and a guy that has something uh completely rehearsed and nailed down just can't play it for some reason and it's this weird mental trap um the same thing kind of goes for for learning like not to be not to try to control things uh too much or um i i admittedly uh I definitely started out my life as a perfectionist. You know, I remember I was a kid where it's like, whether it was like a school project that definitely didn't fucking matter at all. uh, Yeah. Or or just like trying to to play something or trying to like, you know, record early demos or whatever. Um, It it used to like bother me. It's like, it's not perfect. Like I gotta, you know, I gotta do it again. I gotta do it again. Um, And I mean, this is something that being in the band and with six other guys you have, uh, or five other guys, you have this really, really great source of feedback that, um, that it is this this like kind of like blanket of trust where even if you're unsure about something, if five other guys of your best friend, you know, that are, that are best friends with you, you all share, um, so much in common already and do this on a consistent basis and have, it's this really great thing where it's this, um, it's kind of this like funnel that I can be like, hey, if I run an idea through here, here's like the, you know, the catalyst for a song, I don't know. And everybody unanimously is either yay or nay. And, and you get that kind of like instant feedback and instant energy where someone's like, oh my God, let's wait, what is it? I want to, you know, yeah. I want to play it. Um, or you can kind of on the other end, see this like hesitation where you're like, yeah, it's it's kind of cool to be like, okay, I, that's not, we're not going for kind of cool. We're going for like, you know, something that's, you know, you don't even have to say how you feel about it. It's just, let's, let's get to work. What is it? Show me the part or play it again. Uh, I, I want to try something over it. Um, and I think, yeah, So it's kind of, it's finding those moments too and not being, um, you know, it kind of goes back to not, not having this like singular vision. Has to be the way it is, and allowing things to kind of creatively float uh, where they will. And I think that's that's what our band has started to kind of do, and allow ourselves to evolve, and talk about how we have, you know, what opportunities we, we have to evolve. Um, but man, I mean, that's why I love just everyday learning. And you, um, I mean, I, I think some of you know we've been lucky enough to work with some some really talented producers and, and engineers. Um, you know, Steve Evitz has done a bunch of our records. We work with Joe Ciccarelli, who's a legend. Um, and has worked with a ton of huge name, like pop and rock artists over the years and has just like a wall of Grammys at this point. Um, and he'll still tell you, he's like, he's, he's not done learning, you know? He knows a lot. He knows a lot more than most people. Um, but I think the smartest people, and this is what I try to take away from it is the smartest people know that they're never done learning, you know, and they go, they find each day and, and are, and are ready. Even if it's a kid, they might see something differently than someone that's been in the, you know, the producer chair, trying to like put things into this formula for decades and decades. And it, it, it you might miss a fresh perspective or that happy accident. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, uh, Joe, uh, just for, I'll kind of end on this because I love this and this kind of set the tone for us doing Sister Cities with Joe as well. And that I kind of always try to embrace at its core. Um, in terms of like a philosophy, not being so defined by the rules or by how the right way to do something is. I think that's also been how our band has kind of sailed through things and, and making our own way and saying, well, even when people don't care or don't want to sign us or don't want to put us on a show, we're going to go book our own show. We're going to go do, you know, um, whatever it is that that we can do outside of that to keep things going because we, you know, because we love it. And uh, and Joe will tell a story. So he, um, when he was real young, starting out his career, uh, he actually got a call to an engineer wasn't there to come in and work with Frank Zappa. Uh, And when he was real green, so obviously he, you know, he the way he tells it, he was like nervous. But um, the point of it is that Zappa just kind of this like mad creative genius um, comes in and some of the first things and some of the, the things that Joe even remembers to this day were just like, he pulls it up like it, probably like a guitar track or a vocal track or whatever it is, like kind of like, and Zap is listening. He's like,
0: ah,
1: it just sounds too nice. It just sounds too clean. He's like, turn the gain all the way up. And eventually like forces him, like tells him to like kind of crank it to where it's like the channel's farting out and you're getting all this distortion. It's kind of like blowing up and on the edge. He's like, yeah, now, that's now there's something there. That's it. you know. it's um, yeah. so like you get the rule break in so much of like modern production and studio sound and um and the the things that people hear, not only in records like ours and ba- from bands like us, but across the spectrum of like pop and um and electronic and a- every genre are people pushing those boundaries and breaking the rules and finding out how to do it, you know, um, and finding out what they do and, and trusting their gut about something, not saying it's good because they did it the right way or the way it's been done before, but finding a new combination of things. Uh, and,
0: yeah, no, that's yeah, I mean, that's really cool. Like, that's, that's so much of what I also love. Like, again, I'm not a musician, but I think that's something that I've kind of, a theme that I've always come back to is understand the rules learn the rules because that's important then know why you're breaking them break every freaking rule you want so it's just like have the fundamentals understand what the rules are and why they're there and then change the world by breaking them and i think that's sick that that's something that you have carried through it feels like not only in the wonder years but what you're trying to do um with your own production and helping others now record as well which is so so cool
1: no absolutely i mean um And that's the kind of stuff where it's not easy uh, at first because when you're younger, maybe you're, you know, um, you're heavily relying on your influences and maybe there's, you know, a bit of imitation there. Whether your first band starts out covering the Blink and Green Day songs and all that, um, you know, so then a lot of the stuff you write tends to gravitate towards, well, that's, you know, it's all you know. But the older you get, the more things you're exposed to, the more things inform each one of those like micro um, decisions that I'll yeah. make up the sum, um, they become more valuable. And that's why, you know, finding all of those new, unique parts. And um, I've recently actually started um, getting into kind of doing one-on-one session stuff because what I realize is working with especially independent artists or, you know, some local bands, they know enough to be like, I know I want this and this. So they, they come in, they have a nice a vision for a song, put a song together, put an EP together, put an album together. But then a lot of them will like turn around and be like, Hey, what do you think the best strategy for this is or the project doesn't end in the studio anymore you know like i said going back to it's like in this day and age i think there's a ton of opportunity and you know with technology and anybody can just like learn how to make a song and, and and put up some profiles for free online and just get it going immediately um But there's a lot of other steps there that are lost and a lot of things that, you know, a lot of cracks to be filled in in the the forefront that I think bands that came like kind of before that era um, and even in a different era where streaming wasn't as much of a priority, you know, did it a little bit more organically with like touring and in-person stuff, which obviously you can't do now. But uh, I I think that's where it's like, I started trying to just at least give whatever sound advice and be like a a good, um, you know, soundboard for them as I could. Because we were lucky enough to have some really great sources of that early on in our career and uh, and as kids, um, and so now you know I've dedicated some time like that too these days to do some like one on one with people that have questions or definitely out and willing to take the time and make the sacrifices to do the hard work and put and put the time in. You know, even though that might l- look a little different than what putting the time in did uh, for us back then. Uh, there's so many par- There's more parallels than not. So. Uh, if I can be the, you know, even just some source of like taking the like 15, 20 years we've been around it and doing it and mistakes, then I'm happy to kind of do that and, and at least try to like pay it forward in that regard. Uh, and hope, yeah, that's, you know, hope that it reaches somebody that,
0: uh, that's really cool. And I mean, dude, like, that's exactly what you did on this podcast. Like, it's cool that that's, that was a big piece of me wanting to do this podcast is like, I love conversations like this. I love helping people one on one, but. At a point, you're just like, damn, like, how, like, I can't even scale that, right? Like, I want to help more and more and more. So, being able to distribute knowledge on a podcast or any platform where you're able to do more was something that I got really excited about. So, for this episode, I mean, dude, I I love this. Like, you shared so so much, and it was so insightful. I think that my takeaway of all this—it was just such a candid, honest conversation of where things are at and like everything that's been through. And I think that people can learn a lot just by hearing conversations like that. So thank you so much for sharing everything you did.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, I mean, you're so right. And I know uh, I, in fact, as a great example, uh, learn a lot from podcasts like yours. and uh, And I thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, the medium itself is... I think that's why so many people are gravitating towards it, you know, because there's... There's a lot of really sound resources, and a lot of, um, especially in the creative space, a lot of people that um, that have a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, and a lot of time to share. And I love learning from that. I, I can't.
0: There yeah. aren't enough. Comes back to that thing you said: always
1: be learning. There aren't enough hours in the day, honestly, to like you know listen to all of the podcast uh, episodes that I have queued up and still get work done. So yeah, it's and, hard, and it feels great, but um, at some point, yeah, you got to go do the work and put it in. A-
0: Go apply yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't just become obsessed with learning and not applying. But, uh, so if anybody listened to this and they really did like what you had to say and got so much out of it or maybe have further questions, where can everybody find you if they want to hit you up, if they want to work with you, if they just got a question, whatever.
1: Yeah, my Instagram is case underscore rock. I check that a lot usually and uh, as well as the, uh, the studio profile, which is True Level Studio. You can either visit that website or my website, which is just Casey Cavalier.com or band stuff, the Wonder Years Band.com. Uh, obviously, we, you know, we've, we have some things planned in line to roll out uh, over this year and are always moving forward with something. Yeah. I mean, if anybody's interested or has any other questions, obviously, I'd be happy to chat and love, uh, love helping and paying it forward, man. So I appreciate you having me on.
0: That's sick, man. You uh, You really shared a lot of value on this one, and you're the exact type of person that I. Get so hyped to have on the podcast. So it was an honor and I, I thank you so, so deeply. Cool, thank you. So there it is, Casey's story. I hope you liked it, especially if you made it here to the end. If you didn't, shoot me a message and let me know what I can make better. And if you did, do me a favor right now and take a second to share it on social media or literally text it to a friend that you think might like it. Word of mouth has been the entire way that this podcast has grown, and it's grown quite a lot. So for that, I give you a massive thank you. If you want even more Casey content, I just started the Where Are All My Friends Patreon, and there is an entire video bonus episode on there right now of him and I talking a whole lot about podcasting and a little bit more about touring and really just us kind of chopping it up before we started recording. So you can go to patreon.com slash where are all my friends, or you can just go to the where are all my friends website, where all my and you can find the Patreon there. I think that says it all. As always, seriously, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and I will be back next week with another episode.